Reba J Meets is brought to you with the support of Van der Sanden. Driven by innovation, sustainability and craftsmanship, Van der Sanden is Europe's largest family-owned manufacturer of facing bricks, clay pavers, eco-brick slips and facade solutions. Together we build greatness. Welcome to Reba J Meets, where we get the inside track on leading architects. I'm Eleanor Young. In this podcast, we'll be meeting the people behind the architecture at Arup, directors Joe Wright and Nick Jackson, and architect Christina Cox. They've recently completed Triton, a not-so-new project for British land that radically reconditioned an old Arup building in London and put it back together to the standards of today. I'm here now. It's looking shiny. It's looking pretty impressive. Commercial has typically been one of Arup's biggest sectors. Of course, it's taken a hit during the pandemic, but there's plenty more to Arup. From working on campus for AstraZeneca with Herzog and de Meuron, to leisure centres come science hubs and a glassware manufacturer in Wales. They're also bringing smaller scale to the master planning of Battersea Power Station, which has to be welcome. How do they go about selling all these things to clients? Does the OG process work for them? Or can multidisciplinary giant Arup offer different routes into working with great clients? We hear about tramping sites, connecting with new clients via Teams, yes, it is possible, and expanding work sectors into health. And spaghetti hoops. Yeah, this is Reba Jamie. Welcome, Joe and Nick. Um, do you remember the project you first started on? Yeah, well, my my journey into sort of practice was uh, now seems quite a long time ago in the mid 80s um, and came out of uh, School of Architecture in Cambridge, rather green, and went to, to work for Nicholas Hare, which was a terrific place to work. He just set up recently, having left Arab Associates. Uh, and I began life traveling around the... Uh, North Circular to go to the Heinz factory at Harlesden in the middle of a big industrial site next to the Guinness factory, uh, where we were doing a, 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 almost a classic bit of Arab work. We rebuilding a new production line in the middle of the factory for, um, I think that was spaghetti hoops was what they were going to make there. Spaghetti hoops. I bet you can't beat that, Joe. Well, I, it's interesting. I, I was thinking, gosh, what was my first, my first job? And I guess my first job, because I did the, uh, course at Bath, which is, is interwoven with um, practically experience in practice. And so the first practice I worked at was actually Hampshire County under Colin Stanton Smith and David White, who were amazing people to work for. So that was the mid 80s, um, very much focused on education. And I guess that's really, you know, that really sort of is the foundation of my interest in social infrastructure projects. But um, you know, extraordinary people who were really committed to educating the the um you know the students particularly on the team i can remember david saying oh it's a lovely day go and go sketching <laughs> the different world <laughs> how lovely yeah i bet i bet your graduates don't get sent out into the sun to do that but maybe they do sometimes maybe you'll maybe you'll bring it in especially and how about when you when you went to arab joe um what was the first project you won there it took a while to, to sort of reorientate and work out how Arab works, which is quite different to, to my previous life. Um, I guess the first thing that I really got my hands on from the beginning 
is a, an extraordinary project in Llanelli in West Wales. And it's called Pentra Owl, which I'll, I'll send you details of how that's spelt. Um, but essentially, it's a, it's a sort of radical new model of social infrastructure, which brings together health and well-being, life sciences, business incubation. So it's, um, there's a leisure centre, but within the same building is uh, clinical delivery of healthcare services, outpatient services, education for healthcare professionals, not medics, but every other sort of professional, physios, OTs, uh, business incubation for life sciences businesses. And this is on a, a post-industrial site that's been undeveloped for the last 70 years. I think it was decommissioned in the 1947, 1950, um, in a community which is, you know, has suffers, suffers multiple levels of deprivation, chronic health conditions, multi-generational joblessness. And so it's a, it's a fantastic attempt to solve a whole lot of problems in one go, which is the sort of thing I love doing. Um, and actually, you know, what we've done, I, I guess the, the thing that I feel really proud of is we persuaded them to, rather than doing several buildings, to create a single building so that um, you know, the community is exposed to all the things going on in the building, rather than just going to, the, you know, going to see the doctor or possibly going to use the leisure centre. They actually get exposed to education and high-tech business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds a, a really remarkable project. I mean, that kind of bringing together all those things. How did you hear that you'd won it? Did you get it on the, did you get a phone call? Did you celebrate? It's a funny one because it's actually, it's a project which um, a guy called Dave Pittman, who is, uh, who leads the UK healthcare business for Arab. Um, Dave kind of spotted the site and he actually created the project. No, over a number of years, he, he was telling me the story that he, he flies a light aircraft and he was flying back over the site at some point and thought, God, that's a, that's a fantastic site. It's coastal. It's just off the Lager Estuary. It's, it's absolutely stunning. Um, and it would have been a slam dunk for more developer housing. And he just felt that, gosh, there must be a way of using that for public good. And so through a long program of advocacy, he actually created the program Arab did a master plan, and then the client, who is Carmarthenshire County, said, "Well, we'd like you to bring an architect into this." And actually, and so, so it wasn't a you no, know, it wasn't a sort of competitive situation, but some no, it's been it's been fantastic. And we heard yesterday actually that that we are now appointed to stay client side through the, the construction process. So construction that will start early next year, which is so exciting. Yeah, yeah. So there's no running around the pitch with your T-shirt over your head. That's very disappointing, <laughs> I have to say. Um, do, how do you how do you split the job of finding jobs? I mean, how do you how do you work that out? Is is everybody responsible? Does one person lead? Does one person do you do different sectors? Are there targets? Don't tell me too much internal stuff. Just roughly how it works. There is some some separation by sector. You know, we we clearly you know we do work in transport sector. We're doing quite a lot of science and industry work, and people have both greater levels of experience and connection into sort of different uh, industries. So that that obviously they they lead in in different ways. So um, we equally have a you know probably a large percentage of our work is is fed through the wider Arab sort of connections 
So the, the ability to go and offer a multidisciplinary story for some of the larger, say, science projects is very you know, beneficial and those connections come through that. Uh, and then on the other side, we've, we're, we're out there talking to people, uh, looking at doing early studies, helping people consider sites and so on. You know, in the, in the sort of way, maybe in the commercial sector that works. Sometimes that turns into competitions. Uh, sometimes it's it's simply, you know, interviews and and talking to people about approach. Actually, we do less and less. I think of the sort of sit down, draw a scheme, go in, say we think you should do this. It's actually much so it's more getting alongside people, trying to get alongside people and understand what they're what they need to do or what they think. Uh, Actually, it's not what they need to do. It's what is the potential and the possibility of a site. So two of the more interesting things we've won recently since I've joined have been a, you know, part master plan, part building proposition. So quite large scale sites. So Battersea Power Station we've been uh, working with over the last sort of 18 months, two years. Over we'll talk about that later. Rethinking yeah. what they do. And that, that's come about through a sort of wider sort of propositional process. Yeah. So, I mean, there are people that you know in the industry. Do you just sort of hop on a train and go and meet them, get on the tube? I mean, I, I would oh. like to hear that you get your, you know, your light, light aeroplane flying things on expenses. <laughs> but I'm guessing it's just mostly train and tube. Well, and, and, and teams, my goodness, we've seen far too much teams. But it is amazing the client relationships that we've both built and maintained in the last 18 months where... No, there's been so little face-to-face, -face, but actually it's, you know, we have managed to stay connected. But no, I, I, the how, thing how I do you do that? How do you do that? I mean, you haven't just been on Teams because, you know, architects are not just on Teams. They haven't. Um, no, but it's been, you know, it, uh, 95%, I'd say. Right. You know, okay. I, I, I literally have met you know, a handful of clients face-to-face -face since March last Who year. Who have you met face-to-face? Oh, gosh. Um, ah, well, the, the guys that we're doing this, this work down in South London with, we've met face to face a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, I did a pitch with a client in a room several weeks ago, which was the first time. I mean, we, we you know, Arab has been super uh, fastidious about, about the, you know, everyone's health and well-being, and therefore we haven't been able to bring people into the office. Um, but that was a first. Um, no, it's been very, very limited. But in terms of, of the, the, just going back to your question about winning work and, and how we focus, I think the other thing we've got is a very kind of well-connected leadership team. So the senior team, which is currently 14 people, and, and I'm really pleased to say 50-50 male and female, um, do, you know, we subdivide into people's particular sector interests, but we come together on a regular basis to talk about opportunities and to talk about how best to um, transfer knowledge from sector to sector. You know, there are lots of parallels, for instance, between um, sports stadia and arenas and transport projects. They're both about dealing with the movement of large bodies of people. Um, and so actually, Kim, who leads the transport sector, and Chris, who leads sports, you know, spend quite a lot of time talking about what are, what are the, the parallels, what are the things that one sector can learn from the other. And I think that's a really exciting part of, of, of the sectors that we're in. It's one of those secrets of knowledge transfer. You can't actually yeah. just do it by having an internal database. You actually have to talk, don't you? No, no, it's, it's actually bringing people together to review projects. 
Oh, right. Okay. I mean, it's the same crossover between, you know, the, most of our clients in the sort of science industry sector, mm -hmm. building building spaces for people to work, whether that's in a manufacturing environment or the support um, workplace that goes with that. So, you know, taking all the, the understanding and skills we've got around sort of workplace and, and how that's changing <laughs> and introducing that into their world is interesting because it's not, they, they don't have that sort of level of contact with the day-to-day the -day of, of the focus, say, in the, the workspace. So uh, you've been down to Canada Water recently. There's lots going on there. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely wonderful. And we, we got really lucky with the weather. Got a sunny afternoon to um, stride about behind Roger Madeline. Um, and yeah, a phenomenal scale of, of development and huge ambition to create this extraordinary new piece of London. Um, and obviously, you know, we'd love, <laughs> we'd love to get involved in that and, and you know, build on our experience at Battersea. Um, which, which you know, another amazing new piece of London. So yeah, that that you know, the, the kind of extraordinary process of creating whole new areas of city, I guess, is is you know, that's the um, the absolutely ideal version yeah. of, of what we do. I remember going round uh, King's Cross with Roger Madeline and <laughs> just feeling exhausted afterwards at the kind of potential and the <laughs> excitement and the amount of miles we walked. Yeah, and I don't know how he keeps his, his sort of energy level up because it's such a long game. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, he said he's constantly, his mind is constantly on to the next thing, on to the next thing. As they're signing contracts to start building the first pieces, he's, he's sort of jumping ahead to what's next. But it's um, quite interesting, the comparison with Battersea. Battersea's sitting around with the icon of the, the power station in the centre of it and amazing spaces. And the print works in... Um, Canada water that on the one hand looks very unprepossessing but actually when you strip out the machines as they've done there's some heroic volumes and spaces in there and the sort of rawness of that is very very powerful and interesting and I think they've discovered that and the, the fact they're keeping that and reworking that is really interesting but mm. but it's sort of indicator of where really the thinking about how we've got to reuse anything we can um, rather than simply go okay tabula rasa so tell us about reuse then, Nick, because I mean, um, your office is for British land, Triton, uh, yeah. and, and the kind of recycled facade. That's, I mean, that's an amazing thing to be involved in. How did it come about? Well, the, the, the development as a whole started with, it's, you know, it's an original Arab Associates building from the early 90s. It was built with a very sort of high spec as a, a building for a bank to, to trade from. So it had great bones, great infrastructure in it. Um, British Land looked at both a redevelopment option as well as the refurbishment, but the refurbishment and extension uh, made much more sense, much quicker, and they had uh, an existing tenant elsewhere on the Regent's um, Place estate who wanted to move into the building. So it began in a sort of conventional way, if you like, but the story about carbon and reuse uh, grew as we got into the project. Um, and the the architectural story was about resetting the building in the urban context, rescaling it, adding three stories to it. Um, but the potential to then start to say, okay, actually, how much of the material can we reuse? Obviously, the concrete is a big part of that very good structure, but we needed to strengthen that cleverly. So we use carbon fiber wrap where we could. The reuse of the facade, um, two parts to that. The first part was actually, it was very well designed in the first place. It was a very early double skin facade. So it had very good performance, um, but it was also dry construction. So we could dismantle it, 
take it away. The original contractor, um, Shelderbell, still trading, still still there, still very capable. So conversations with them about, look, can we dismantle this? How do we do this in the way with the reducing the sort of you know the, the carbon impact? So decisions to say, okay, once we'd made the decision, we could take it apart and refurbish it and prove technically that we could get what we wanted from that was then, okay, actually, let's not take it back to Holland. Let, let's do that in the UK. And instantly you've saved another, you know, X hundred tons of carbon from the transportation side of it. But the, the real story on Triton is it's not one thing. I mean, the facade has got a lot of attention, but there's a whole series of smaller measures in the design in about you know 20 or 30 different places that have all contributed to making a very significant impact on the overall embodied and operational carbon story, which for British land was a journey they'd not really gone down on a project to the same extent. Um, did they, was it something they wanted to do? I mean, did they push it originally or was... Once, once there was a refurbishment, it became natural to look at everything in that light. It grew once the refurbishment was on the table as the approach, and we started to look into, look, this is really what this means. And this didn't come from nowhere. Arab had been in this space for maybe 15 years, looking at you know the environmental impact around um, you know the energy and and embodied carbon. So it was bringing that to bear, really. And then it was a partnership, really, between British land, ourselves, and Lendlease had a big role to play in this because, obviously, they had to play that out through the construction in all parts of that. So, I, um, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say, Nick, that we, we exceeded expectations because the, you know, the brief was Briam excellent, which I guess was a fairly at the stage at which the project started. That was kind of as far as they wanted to go. Certainly, Briam outstanding would have been an option, but they didn't feel it was necessarily a deliverable option. As we moved through the process, it became obvious to us that Briam Outstanding was deliverable and, and at you know, very marginal additional cost. Mm. And I think that's what's, you know, that's what's worked out remarkably well, that we've proved that you can reach Outstanding without it being a huge cost burden. I think it's really important that the development market takes that on board because there's no reason why those boundaries can't be pushed further. There's no commercial reason. Yeah. Yeah. So does it does it make you special having done this? I know architects think it does, you know, are impressed having having listened to a few of them talking about it. But does it make you special? Does it mean that clients will say, oh, yes, they can do that. Let's let's get them on board. Well, I, I does it make it special? I think the, the thing that's slightly special is it actually it's the holistic approach across mm -hmm. the the engineering disciplines and the architectural um sort of leadership, if you like, that, that has allowed it to happen and, and so on, because a lot of the the work to deliver it has been about actually integrating the, the approach to engineering with, with the architecture and making sure that we've explored all opportunities in a way. So you and could I, make it, you can make it a standard service. You could make it something that we say, yeah, we can, it's we not can a standard offer you that. We're doing it on every project where we can. I mean, actually, it's it's a question we're asking all clients and potential clients, really. I mean, that uh, if we are going to have an impact on on climate change at the level we need to, you know, we can't just say it's only for some projects. Nick's told us about Triton and he's told us about lots of small moves and how that was really what made a difference to its sustainability. 
You were involved in the interiors at Shannon Court. Uh, just tell us about some of those small moves. What makes a difference? So, yeah, as, as Nick said, it was really these small changes and small moves that were key to that sustainability story on the project. Um, so, I guess, as an example, um, the building has four stair cores around the building. And what we did was move those stair cores outside of the thermal line to improve the energy performance of the building and the air tightness of the building. Um, another thing would be would be replacing all of the plant on the building, um, specifying uh, res uh, responsibly sourced materials, um, and also little things like um, specifying low energy lighting. And I guess, with all of these small moves, it really did require a certain um, attention to detail in, in all of our decisions and sort of a perseverance in carrying that through the five years of the project. So you've done transport, you've done commercial, and now you're going into manufacturing. So, I mean, you're not manufacturing stuff yourself, I know that. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about working with Chinna. Yeah, so I'm now um, working with the science and industry team at Arrow. Um Chinna is a glass um, bottle manufacturing facility in Wales. Um, so the client is a, a Turkish client, they have a current existing existing uh, facility in Turkey and they have identified um, Wales as a business opportunity for them to produce a very similar product. Um, what are you doing for it? So the uh, project is currently um, in full planning. Um, we have designed um, two process lines and a warehouse and storage and distribution facility. Um, that sits within that. Um, there's been quite an emphasis on um, health and well-being in the um, proposal, so it includes things like a um, indoor and outdoor recreational space, um, a health centre within the facility, um, and it's a building that will provide just less than 700 um, jobs and skilled jobs. Um, I guess in an area where opportunities like that are very much welcomed. That sounds amazing, a really interesting project and quite a significant one for the area. Thanks mm -hmm. very much, Christina. And it is, you know, in some ways, that is our USP as architects of Arab, the ability to offer total architecture, total design, um, which draws on the whole panoply of, of um, specialisms that we have in-house. You know, that's, you know, we are the only architects with, with immediate access to all those people. Obviously, they're accessible to the whole market, but there, you know, there are all sorts of, of obscure specialisms that aren't necessarily um, on everyone's radar. And you know, our ability to just call someone up, I, you know, I, I wanted some advice about timber the other day. I called up Andrew Lawrence and in you know, 10 minutes had absolutely the answer I needed that could have taken half a day to find by other means. And that's the kind of 
that's the, the magic of Arrow. Yeah, and I think the point in a way is that very early on in a project, at the sort of very initial stages, when you're just sort of starting to formulate how do you, you strategize, we reach and we talk to the team who look at help us with the carbon analysis. We talk to an engineer if we need to about something to do with geotechnics. And it's, it's that early stage work where it begins mm -hmm. to crystallize into a sort of concept for the scheme, where and some so of that input's critical. How much work comes from inside Arup? I think you've said it's quite significant. Yeah, there's a network, you know, there's a network of people who are out and about and, and with different client connections. Um, you know, lots of people who've got really trusted advisor status with clients. And so I think, I think, you know, we are jolly fortunate to have early sight of things that are coming down the pipeline uh, and to be able to position ourselves. So it's less about us trying to forge new client relationships. Oh, obviously, we you know, we do that as well, and that you know, that that can be, you know, an interesting, exciting part of the process. But actually, there's also a lot of um, internal leads to follow up. Um, and and you know, when one looks at the odds of of going through an OG process versus the odds of going to talk to a client who's already got a really good relationship with someone who they've been you know taking advice from for years, but for years, why would we? Why would we go down the, the sort of lottery route? So is that how it happened with Battersea, your master plan there? No, that was a that was a direct approach from the plant to say, no, we're looking at remaster planning the you know, the remainder of the site. Um, and you know, can you come and have a chat? And in fact, we went in to have a chat with them about nine months before the opportunity then came out. Um, they went to a number of, of potential teams um, and put us through several, you know, several, you know, a, a, a submission, several interviews. You went through all the hoops. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting when you said about celebrating wins. I thought I don't think we ever really celebrated that because it was such a drawn-out process. I mean, we it took from from memory something like from July to about November to actually seal the deal. Um, and by that time, you've kind of thought for so long, well, I think we've got this in the bag, but it hasn't really, you know, don't dare celebrate it. And so <laughs> I think actually we didn't celebrate, we must celebrate now it appears to have almost got consent. Um, and so you're working on that with other disciplines. I mean, if you're working on it with urban designers, no, no you're not. You no, know, we are working on it with urban designers, but not other Arab disciplines, interestingly. Right. So that's quite an unusual one. Um, you know, we pitched it with colleagues from the urban design team who we work you know, seamlessly with anyway. Um, and we came at it from the perspective of, of offering expertise both in, in the making of cities and the making of buildings. You know, what the client was looking for was both um, you know, continuing the creation of that extraordinary new place, but also looking at, at techniques for um, you know, modern methods of construction, how do you prefabricate, how do you create the maximum possible certainty in the way that you build out the scheme over many years. Yeah, and I think you were talking about, um, I mean, there's a sense that it's a, a slightly different grain from the existing projects that are part of the previous master plan. Is that right, Nick? Yes, I mean, the, the, um, the existing master plan was was the Vinoli master plan was structured around a sort of series of very large grand sort of sweeping frontages that defined a very clear spatial structure 
um, but it it both committed to the developer to, to delivering those in very large chunks but it also in a way it, it, the secondary and tertiary spaces and routes that would allow a sort of connectivity that runs if you like counter to those big moves was missing and and actually when you start to look at the wider area and the potential to to knit into a series of sites that are coming to the east of um, the power station site you'd sort of realize you're going to have this sort of severance and the, the opportunity to create something that felt like an authentic sort of urban structure was missing so actually one of the key things we did was start to try and find a finer grain with it secondary spaces smaller routes corners and so on the stuff that makes up you know the the, the nitty-gritty if you like of cities and that was really the main sort of shift we we introduced and and that created then a very interesting conversation with the local authority um in terms of you know how the site had evolved yeah yeah i mean that that is quite a shift i think from what we've mm. seen so far and possibly a very positive one um for the urban plan um so you've also worked more directly with or perhaps for architects on astrazeneca you've got a project at the moment uh, with Herzog and Demur, and how does that come about? How who's your client? Who who are you working for most closely on that? Yeah. Okay. So we we um, we're working with Herzog and Demur on on the second phase of AstraZeneca's new sort of global headquarters on the Cambridge Biomedical Campus. They've just completed or are completing the the first phase of that building, which is their global R and D center, um, which uh, and we're working with them on the the second phase which is a series of buildings in terms of sort of research buildings uh there's wellness building um there's a travel hub and there's two or three future buildings that will complete that master plan we're working for astrazeneca um and collaborating with herzog and their team on the the design development and build out of that so herzogs have completed the master plan they're taking the lead design role over some of the building design and then we're working with them through that so it's uh, it's a very nice partnership we we share an interest in the sort of you know that buildings have a, a certain robustness that the use of materials has an authenticity and that buildings have a sort of clarity to their organization so you know actually there's a sort of a lot of common ground there um, and we're bringing we're, we're doing that as a full multidisciplinary team so engineering and, and um, all our other disciplines as well so it's, it's very nice it's no opportunity uh, for reuse there uh, well, no, it's 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 brownfield site effectively. It's it's um, land that was uh, it cleared some some time ago. I mean, it, it's it's on the edge of the Adambrook site, um, yeah, next to the railway line. So, just just finishing off, really, and thinking about what's next. What are, what are you most excited about? What are you most looking forward to that's coming up in terms of projects, people you're working with, uh, kind of sectors. I think, well, from from my perspective, I think I'm seeing we've got a series of projects where we're working in urban sort of settings, starting to try and look at how you do take existing buildings and mend quite complicated sort of town center conditions. We've got pieces of work. Arup have been doing a lot of work on the Towns Fund, and we, we've got uh, a number of projects we're starting to work on that begin to look at how you deal with um, Re, re, uh, reinvigorating, I guess, is the right word for you know um, uh, town centres in certain places, and and that's 
allied to the story about retrofit and reusing buildings, um, which I think we see as a fundamental part of how we've got to go forward, really. And I think for me, um, as I said, I, you know, I, I've got this long-standing interest in social infrastructure, and I think where we would like to go is to move towards design for healthcare. It's not something that architecture at Arab has, has done in the past. I guess you know, the project into Nestle is a, is a, a starting point. Um, but I think you know, we've obviously got the skills. There are other disciplines within the Arab family who have huge expertise in healthcare. We've got one or two people dotted around the network. There's an amazing lady who's based in San Francisco. Um, Felicia Trepovokovi, who was uh, you know, had had a very senior role at Stantec, has spent her whole career in architecture for health, um, and I'm working very closely with her to to build a proposition around how we move into that world. I think the other thing is, and again, it's, it's just a similar theme, is the, the sort of growing realization that social value is an important part of what we can deliver as architects and working with the more obscure parts of Arab perhaps the people who are specialists in social value city economics you know well-being is a big thing and and how do we how do we create buildings and places that are you know where the whole is greater than some of the parts in terms of the value it delivers not just in terms of return to shareholders, but in terms of return to the wider community. Interesting. And how do you sell that to clients? You have to sell it to clients who've got a similar attitude? Yes. And I think it's, you know, but I think there is more, you know, and, and maybe more of those clients are actually um, public sector. I think the future, the, the stuff that Nick's talking about in terms of um, urban regeneration is going to be very much about public-private partnerships. Um, you know, the, the Towns Fund is a case in point where, where there is a, a, you know, there's a government fund, but it is, it is entirely reliant on match funding from the private sector. And so it's balancing those, those sort of the ends that are of interest to the private sector and trying to find synergies with, with what the public sector is looking for. Great. Well, I think there's, I mean, that sounds a very positive kind of new direction, um, both of those in fact, going in a, in a slightly different place from where Arup has typically been associated or the old Arup Associates has been typically associated. So very exciting. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you, Nick. Thanks to Van der Sanden for their support on this series of Reba J Meets.